I'm sorry. My wife is here today, too, so hey, honey, how are you? And actually, my sister and my brother-in-law are here as well. So, I, I, you know, I had a couple other people who saw me and heard I was going to be there. One asked me if I was going to need any more hecklers. So uh, <laughs> I think I've got plenty. I should be okay. <laughs> and, uh, duh. No, any volunteers. And, uh, and actually, also, um, there was somebody that wanted to make sure that I put together some of the scriptures that we've been using in different areas here. So I do have a handout we can have at the, be- at the end or, you know, make sure that everybody will have something to kind of go home with and uh, talk about some of the things that we've been talking about from a stewardship perspective. But why don't we just start with a word of prayer so we can get started today? Why don't we bow our heads? Most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for all that you've been. This has been a very powerful week for me, Lord, and I just hope that all that I've had a chance to do would actually lift somebody else up in some way, Lord. Thank you for allowing me to have an expansive view on stewardship, and I hope this week that we have touched the hearts of those that are here, that maybe they may see something a little bit different and take this back to their congregation and their friends and and just to make a difference in their own lives so that hopefully we can do something positive for somebody else. Be with us as we prepare for our Sabbath, Lord, and for all those who may be still on the road. And and help us, Lord, that we may all one day see Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So stewardship of the earth. It's very, very difficult to talk about stewardship without talking about how it impacts the earth. God commands us to keep and to care for the earth, but he also provided an edict that said that we were supposed to have dominion over the earth. One of the confusions I believe that we have as individuals is part of the times that we start going astray is when we no longer have dominion over the earth and dominion over the things of the earth, but sometimes we get to the point where we start worshiping the earth and worshiping things in the earth. And that's why whenever you hear anybody talking about worshiping the sun or worshiping the moon or worshiping an animal or worshiping anything else, we should immediately know that something is wrong because the Bible made clear from the very beginning when Adam and Eve were put in the Garden of Eden, God told them you were supposed to have dominion over all the world. And if you have dominion over something, you can't be worshiping it. So if I have dominion over the fowls, if I have dominion over the foods, if I have dominion over the fish, if I have dominion over the sun and the moon and all those things, then they never can become part of your worship experience. So that in and of itself lets us know that if you want to be a good steward, the first thing you have to believe is you have to believe that God is the creator. Because if you don't believe that God is the creator, and if you don't believe what you read in Genesis 1, the rest of the Bible should mean nothing to you. So the fact is, we start at the very beginning with the idea that my God is the creator. So that takes us now to understanding the definition of stewardship, and we've been talking about it all week. Stewardship is how you utilize and manage the resources and gifts that God has made available to you to use them in a way where they are going to be uplifting to God, and those same gifts will then be uplifting to somebody else. So if all this thing that I do is about managing the gifts that I got from God, that means that there has to be an owner and then there has to be a manager. God is always going to be the owner. You and I are always going to be the manager. But this management position that we have actually has a lot of power. We've been given dominion. We've been given control. 
We've been given authority. We've been given many of the things that most of us should love to deal with in life. But every now and then, some of us get confused because we can't understand why we don't get to be the king. Why we don't get to sit on the throne. We talked a little bit yesterday about God has asked us to be a steward, which means that you have to manage things from the second chair. You don't get to sit in the main chair. And guess what? Some of us can't stand that. We don't like the idea that we don't get to sit in the big chair. You got all the power, you got all the influence, you have all the control, but I want to sit up there. So what is that telling us? That's telling us that first and foremost, if you don't believe that God is in charge, then at some point you think that you should be in charge. And the first thing that we have to realize from being a steward is understanding that you don't get to decide if you are going to be a steward. The fact that you are here on this earth means you are a steward. You have been called to do something special by God. So the only question that you really have to deal with is, am I going to be a good steward or am I going to be a bad steward? You don't get to say I'm not going to be a steward because that's no longer an option. So if that is going to be the case, then the thing that I've got to really decide first and foremost is how am I going to be a good steward? In particular, how am I going to be a good steward of God's green earth? Well, first and foremost, you have to understand that God owns everything and you own nothing. Now, I know that's disappointing to some of us because we came here to this camp meeting thinking about there are a few things in life that we own. But I'm here to tell you that God owns everything and you own nothing. You don't own your house, you don't own your car, you don't own your children, you don't own your spouse, you don't own your clothes. Everything that you have is on loan from God. He's even told you that the children that we all love, and I have three of them that I love immensely, but God has also told me that even they don't belong to me. And I have a responsibility to do what? Raise them in the fear and admonition of God. In other words, he has said, Orlin Johnson and Zena Johnson, you get to be the stewards of these three children that I gave you, but you don't get to just treat it any old way. You've got to follow what I've asked you to do. You have to live the life that I've asked you to live. You have to be an example to these children I've asked you to be. Now, we can make a choice to do something completely different, but the moment we start separating ourselves from what God has asked for us to do, then we're going to put ourselves in a situation where eventually he'll have to either change us or he may change the circumstances of what we've been allowed to be stewards of. God entrusts me with everything I have. So first, I don't own anything. But now I do realize, but I've been entrusted with everything. So God has entrusted me to everything that I have. He gave me all of my possessions. He's put me in a position that I'm able to actually utilize some things in life. And this is the primary responsibility I have from God. Takes me to point three. And this is where it starts to get tough. I am responsible to increase what God has given me. So now I don't get to be a steward who's just sitting around hoarding what God has given me. You remember the, the, uh, the parable of the talents? You don't get to bury your talent and come back and look for it at a later point in time just so you can tell the master, well, what you gave me, I still have. But what that parable is telling us is that God expects us to do something with what he gives us. He expects us to grow it. He expects us to develop it. 
He expects us to use it in a way that's going to be used to elevate somebody else. If there's nothing else that anybody takes from the five days I've been here, the one thing I want everybody to walk away with, anything I've been given by God, I should be using it to help somebody else. If I leave with the idea that all I get from him only belongs to me, if every resource I get I use only to elevate me, I got some more money, so that means I buy a bigger house. I've got some more money, which means I buy another car. I've got some more resources, which means I go out and look for something great for me to do. The fact of the matter is, is all that you get from God, some of it or most of it, and sometimes all of it, is supposed to be used to elevate somebody else. And when we miss that concept, in my opinion, we totally miss what stewardship is all about. And the reason I know stewardship is important is because it started in the Garden of Eden. He told Adam and Eve that this is a garden that you get to be in charge of, you get to protect, you get to name all of the animals, you get to live and abide among them. Your responsibility from the very beginning, Genesis 1, had to do with stewardship. And they tried to do the best they can. They had some slip-ups, obviously, but the fact of the matter is God expected them to manage what he provided for them. Point number four, at some point, God's going to call me into account of whether or not I've been a good steward. That's when the rubber is going to hit the road. At some point, God is going to call somebody. He's going to say, Orlin, have you been a good steward of what I've given you? Orlin, have you taken the education that I allow you to have and utilize it in a way where it lifts up other people? Orlin, do you take that car that I give you and occasionally give somebody else a ride to church instead of just giving yourself a ride to church? Orlin, I've given you an opportunity to meet people who have given you resources. Do you bring those resources in and only use them for your household, or do you use them from time to time to help other people who may be less fortunate? All of this lets us know that we've got to understand in the four prongs of what we were talking about. God owns everything. I own nothing. But God entrusts me to everything that I have. i got a responsibility to increase it. And then I also have to know that one day I'm going to be called into account to see if I'm doing what God would have for me to do. I'd like for somebody to pull up Genesis chapter 1 and verses 28. You know, in Adventism, we talk about having the Great Commission, about going ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the names of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. But I like to call Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28 the Great Commission of Stewardship. So I have somebody read Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28. And one of the things that we want to make sure, we have a few people who haven't been with us, this is interactive. If you've got questions, you have comments, anything you want to inject, Please just raise your hand at any point in time and we will take it on. So don't be afraid to go in and every now and then if you don't talk, I'm going to start calling on people. So you can decide how you want to go about this. But Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28. Can somebody read that for us? Mm, read that one more time. Let's take it one sentence at a time. Go ahead and read that. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply. Hold it right there. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply. Do you notice the way that came together? God didn't say just go out and be fruitful and multiply. 
First, he gave you what you needed in order to do it in the proper way. He did it from a blessing standpoint. He did it from a command standpoint. And God never calls you to do anything that he hasn't always prepared you for. If he tells you, I want you to do this, then you've already given the provisions. Because we serve a God that has been on both sides of the continuum. They say he's the alpha and he's the omega. That he's the beginning and he's the end. So no one ever gets called to do anything unless the provisions have already been there. So you've been blessed and you've been called. Let's continue on. And replenish the earth and subdue it. And replenish the earth and subdue it. What does subdue mean to you? To govern. Bring it under control. In other words, what the Bible is telling us in the Great Commission, I'm not just asking you to be sitting around here and allowing the wind to push you in whatever direction you want to be in. I've asked you to come in to have dominion and have control. You know, I was in law school. I was taking a class called Property, and I remember it was the second day of law school, and I was called on it. For those of you who understand how law school works, they engage in what they call this Socratic process, where a professor asks you questions, you try to respond. Normally, you got a wrong answer, and they keep asking you more questions just to see how dumb you look during the course of the day. <laughs> so I was in that program for three years. Oh, mercy, it was something else. But I remember one day I was doing a case, and the case seemed like it was so simple. It was a case in which there was an individual who was chasing a fox. Somebody else was also chasing the fox. The person who was chasing the fox caught the fox, and then the big question was, who actually owns the fox? Was it the person who was originally chasing it, or was the person that actually came in and caught it at the end? And the professor said to me, he said, Orlin, what is the definition of possession? I said, the definition of possession is physical dominion and control. And it sounded very, very intelligent. And he came back and he said to me, Orlin, that's not correct. And for 40 minutes, he asked me what the definition of possession was. Physical dominion and control. Physical dominion and control. No, 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 no. And then after 40 minutes, he told me, Orlin, the definition of possession is physical dominion and control, plus it has to be coupled with the intent to possess. In other words, just because it's in your hand doesn't mean it belongs to you. If you didn't believe and have the intent that you were supposed to own it, then possession actually didn't take place. You cannot be a great steward if you don't believe that you're supposed to be a great steward. You cannot be a great manager if you don't believe that you've been called on to manage. The whole idea of being able to subdue something, first and foremost, you have to believe that you have the strength to subdue it. Because if you don't believe that you have the capability, you have no chance of actually getting it done. So when we think about this great commission of stewardship, and the Lord is asking us to go out and be fruitful and multiply after he has blessed us and after he has called us and then he has told us that we are supposed to subdue the world in some form or fashion, now we're starting to see that there are real steps that you have to take in order to be a good steward. It's not just something where somebody rolls a ball out to you and you have this ball and now you know what you want to do with it. It actually requires thinking. It actually requires work. It actually requires understanding. It actually requires understanding what your roles are because anything that comes out of whack will throw the whole stewardship picture completely off.
Let's continue with that. Okay, let's stop right there. There's a certain specificity that I love in the Bible. The Bible could have just simply said, take control of it all. But the Bible decided to get very, very specific to tell you that you have control over the fish in the sea, the fowl that's in the air. And for those of us who are still confused, it said, and every living thing that existed on the earth. Can it be any more clear than that? What he's telling us is that we have to be in control and subdue and be in charge, and we have the authority to do so. That's why I don't understand why I see people running away from mosquitoes all the time. Well, no, I do understand why they run from mosquitoes all the time. <laughs> but some of us are so afraid of being bit that we forgot, you know what? We're supposed to be in charge. You know, every now and then we get these wasp nets at my, these nests at my house, and my wife will tell me, honey, there's a wasp nest out there. Now, I'm not, you know, some specialist in killing, you know, insects, but I have equipment at the house that I use. I got these nice things that you spray from long distance, you know, and, you know, I, I don't go with my whole mask on, but I go there prepared to do the job. But the fact of the matter is, is God tells us that we are in charge. Everything in this earth that moves, we have the power to actually subdue. Let's finish up on 2028. Okay, so let me take you through one more thing in addition to 28. So not only are we supposed to subdue, not only are we supposed to be in charge, but guess what? We're supposed to love the job that he gave us. You ever meet managers who don't like being good managers, or don't like managing at all? You ever go to McDonald's? Well, you guys probably don't go to McDonald's. Um, you ever go to one of these nice vegetarian places and, and you walk in and the attitude is wrong? They're looking at you like, why are you here? You know, they say, you know, well, I'm just curious about something. They want you, well, just look up at the board. You'll get your information up there. Well, I wanted to talk to you a little bit. I wanted to feel your management. I wanted to feel your love. If you are going to be a steward and you're going to be unhappy in your stewardship, that's a problem. We have to love the fact that God has given us this responsibility. There's certain things that you have from God that you don't get to be angry about. You don't get to act like this is a job that's been put on me that I don't want to have. Being a steward for God is probably the greatest thing that can ever happen in life. And the beauty is you don't even have to ask for it. You don't have to negotiate for it. You don't even have to pray for it. You are a steward because you are here. And the only responsibility you have now is to be the best steward that God could ever have you to be. Point over here. Hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Such a great point. The whole concept of being a steward means that you have to be willing to put yourself down below something. You have to allow something else to be able to live above you. And the whole example that he just put up was really the example of Christ. He could have come to this world as a king, but he came to this world in probably what many of us would see as being a servant position, subdued, below others, not in a position where you would say, oh, he should be elevated in some way. And if we want to basically use Christ as an example, being a servant or being a steward is probably the most important way and probably the best way that we can do so. So really, thank you for that point. But it requires us to have to love to be that. You know, the irony is, is that, you know, we find ourselves being in a position where we don't understand stewardship. But the reason that stewardship starts to really be able to create confusions for us is simply because of sin. When sin came into this world, it started to distort the concepts of stewardship. In other words, now you have dominion, but some people believe that means dominance. Now you are supposed to subdue, but some people think that means you have to be in an ugly submission. You ever hear that text where they talk about wives, you should submit yourselves unto your husbands? All the women are looking at me real strange now. <clears throat> but the fact of the matter is, is submission was not supposed to be a bad word. Submission was really focused, and if you go back to the original language, it talks about being a steward. It talks about being in a position where you are managing. But it also says that a wife should understand that there's other scripture that follow that. To say not only are wives going to be submitting unto their husbands, but husbands have the responsibilities of taking their, their wives the way God takes care of the church. So God, even in his infinite wisdom regarding even submission and even being in power and even being in control and, and how exactly that should take place, is something that God still wants for us to engage in. Somebody pull up Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 18. And that's the text that I like to look at when it talks about why should we be happy to be stewards in Christ. So Isaiah chapter 5, 65, I'm sorry, in verse 18. Rejoice in all that I create. In other words, be happy in those things that I brought upon this earth. There's no reason to be sad. There's no reason to be upset. Yes, there are things on this earth we don't want to hang around with all the time, but we still should rejoice and be happy in it. And somebody go to Revelation chapter 5 and verse 13. And I love this text because this starts to give us an idea of when God created all these things, what did he really expect from us? What, did, what was his thought process? Revelation chapter 5 and verse 13. So the whole purpose of creation is to give honor and glory to God. The whole purpose that you and I have on this earth is to give honor and glory to God. 
It's not to be in charge and to dominate and to rule. It's supposed to live a life in which we give honor and glory to God. And that's why from the very beginning, when you even look at Genesis 1, when it says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You ever thought about the Bible and thought about all the different ways the Bible could have begun? But for some reason, it began this way. And in my mind, I believe that if we don't understand from the very beginning who's in charge, everybody starts to get confused. But when the scripture starts out at the very beginning that says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And creation means that he took nothing and made something. I don't care how talented any of us are in this room. There's nobody in here that can take nothing and make something. And God is letting us know at the very beginning that no matter whatever else you do in life, it all began with me. I'm the ultimate owner. I'm the big dog. I'm the one who's in charge. But guess what? You will get to live in a beautiful world with me. Just understanding your role and just being comfortable in your role. And you know what I found it interesting? When I go into the New Testament of the Bible, I believe that God was always powerful in showing, even when you read through the Bible, his control over the elements of this world. I love the fact that the first miracle that Jesus engaged in was doing what? What did he do? He turned water into wine. Now, he could have just let wine show up. But I believe that what God wanted to do and what Jesus' intent was was to demonstrate I have all power. I am the owner of all the elements. You and I may know that it's H2O, but I'm in charge of the H. I created the two, and without me, there'd be no O. (laughs) So I can take this and transform it and change it into something completely contrary to what it started out to be. Because I am God and I am sovereign all by myself. My brother right here. Mm-hmm. We have to be created anew as well. And that have a new a new heart. And that creation teaches us that. And um forget who made that book, but that if anyone can read that book, you know what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I'm trying to remember who the author was. Yeah, but the focal point of it really causes us to understand that when you are allowed, in my opinion, to be a good steward, then your life becomes transformed. See, sometimes as Christians We are informed with all the information that we have. But we're not necessarily transformed by all the information that we have. The act of being a good steward is a transformational process. It changes everything about who you are. When you have been called by God to be a steward, and when you are a great steward in relationship with God, it is transformational. It doesn't just transform you but it transforms everybody that you come in contact with. And that's why the spirit, you know, we talked yesterday about you got to be pleasant in your stewardship. You got to be loving in your stewardship. You have to be open in your stewardship. You have to be in a position where you're willing to see things that maybe you didn't see before. 
You know, one of the things that I've gotten older, I started to realize is there's a lot of stuff I thought I knew I really don't know. And I've got to be open to learn and to absorb and to hopefully take advantage of it in ways that will allow all men and women to be known as to what kind of God that I serve. So one of the principles of stewardship that we're also talking about is that stewardship always connects you and me to God. When you are a good steward, that means the relationship between the owner and the manager are working in tandem. You know, I was talking with some people earlier this week who owned some property, and they were talking about, we own this property, but our business runs extremely well because the manager that we've hired is excellent. And guess what? This world runs extremely well when you and I are good managers. What causes this world to get wacky is when you got management that's wacky. The owner stays consistent. It's the idiots that are managing that cause the problems. <laughs> you ever hear them talk about when middle management is messed up, the business has no chance? And that's true. And when we as middle management don't do what God has asked us to do, we don't allow his message to have a chance. You know, there's a responsibility we have as Christians that when people see us, they need to understand who we are, only in relationship to God. Some people think that they need to know who I am because I just got it like that. I've been blessed with all of this talent, so of course I got to stand out. That's not what this is about. You've been blessed with a lot of talent so that you can demonstrate the love of God in your life. And then once they see who that God has been in your life, then you have an opportunity to share it with them. Somebody go to Genesis 2 and verses 15. You know, we talked about the great commission of stewardship as being Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28. But then we look at Genesis 2 and verse 15, and it really starts to bring it home. Somebody read that for us. And God put man into the garden to dress it and to keep it. And when you go back to the original Hebrew, the word that it uses is called shamar. That means doing a lot more than just keeping it tidy and clean. Shamar actually means that you are called to guard something, that you are called to watch something, and you are called to protect something. So what God actually told man to do when he brought him into the Garden of Eden was not just simply to be there and kind of be a caretaker, but he wanted him to be his protector. He wanted him to be the guardian. And he also wanted to make sure that he was somebody who was going to be on watch all the time. You know, one of the reasons is we as Americans, we feel safe is because we have soldiers that are on watch all the time. Somebody's on the wall all the time watching out for us. We have people that are all over the world doing things so that our freedom here in this country will allow us to be able to sleep well at night. What the Bible is telling us is that God has called us to be the watchman for him. He has called us to be the watchman over his resources. You know, when I come to a place like this, and my wife and I, we've, I've spent more time sitting in a rocking chair than maybe I've ever done in my whole life. But when you sit down in some of these chairs and you just simply look out and you see the beauty of what God has created in this world, 
whether it's the lake, whether it's the flowers, whether it's the birds, whether it's the grass, whether it's the mud, whatever you see, there's something there that can remind you that, man, there is a God somewhere. The beauty of what you see just grabs you. And that's why it's so important that as managers of a world like this or an earth like this, God calls us to protect it. In other words, you just can't go places throwing trash out of your windows because it's convenient. You can't go places and live places and not want to maintain the beauty. You have a responsibility when you go through that area that they call, I think it's the Rose Walk, that somebody has to be putting the fertilizer in. Somebody has to be doing the pruning. Somebody has to be understanding what it's needed to make that move forward. And as a manager and as an owner, you have different responsibilities, but based on what God has asked for you to do, just do your job. When I look at all these flowers, I wonder to myself, who's keeping this up? But some of us look at those flowers, and what do we say? Well, we say that those are some nice roses with big thorns. But then some of us said those are some nice thorn bushes that have nice roses. We all look at it differently depending on how God has gifted us. My brother has a question in the back. Mm. Mm. Unbelievable. You know, landscaping, I mean, my wife is here. We've been thinking about the landscaping in front of our house for a long time. And I honestly can't see what it's supposed to be. I just can't. Now, my wife kind of has some visions of what it's supposed to be. And what I'm good at is once you have the vision, I go and buy it and I'll get it in the ground. But I don't know exactly what it's supposed to be. But as I watch our landscaping changing in front of our house, I feel that something good is happening. You know, when, you know, when, when I go to the... <laughs> to these landscaping places, and they'll say, what are you looking for? And I'll say something like, you got one of those bushes that look like a screw? <laughs> That's all it looks seems like to me. And then they say, oh, yeah, somebody help the guy who's looking for the screw bushes, you know? <laughs> but for me, and when we bought some the other day, and I put them in the ground, and I remember telling my wife, honey, I got these screw bushes, and they look great. But... I see how the Lord starts to change things. We were talking the other day about whether we wanted to put stones in our yard. And then I thought to myself, there was a point in time where I thought that stones were the craziest thing in the world, but now you have people that use them from a landscaping standpoint to beautify the place. Big stones, little stones, white stones, gray stones, stuff I used to kick around as a child and throw in the water like it meant nothing. Now it costs you $13 a bag. <laughs> to put that stuff around your tree. But it's just a reminder how beautiful God can take things. And, you know, we, matter of fact, we were just talking that, you know, we're getting some mulch put in our yard, and there's something about when you get fresh mulch that's put in your yard, you know? There's a certain smell and beauty that comes with it, and, 
you know, we were talking about putting some rocks, and my wife had said to me the other day, she said, well, Warren, I like the way that dark moats kind of pops against these light green plants we have coming out. I didn't quite know what we were talking about, but it, it, I get it a little bit. But what it does, it reminds you of the beauty of what God has put on this earth. And we all get to see it in different ways. It's amazing you could be walking down the same pathway and you can ask somebody, what do you see out there that's beautiful? And they will have a complete different thought of what you would have. You know, sometimes my wife and I will see things and she'll see something here and I have no idea what she's looking at. But I see other things very, very differently. I walk past people and I can automatically tell my wife, that's an interesting shirt they had on. Did you read what that said? And she may be like, no, I'm just looking in their face and seeing how kind they were. I sit in places because I'm a New Yorker, and I'm saying, how do I get out of here quickly? <laughs> I sit in position so that if I need to, I can move, you know. I, I, it's this natural thing that I have. I, I can't even explain it to you. You know, people will see me, and they'll say, well, Orlin, I saw where you parked. I was like, I look like easy access from there. <laughs> We're all different people. And my wife sometimes makes fun of me, but I say, honey, when trouble comes, you'll be safe with me. <laughs> you will be safe with me. But the Lord has called us to manage things differently. The Lord has called us to be in a position where we can make a difference in the lives of others. Let's go to Proverbs 12 and verse 10. Proverbs 12 and verse 10. This was a strong text to me. Who has that one? Proverbs 12 and verse 10. Mm. The righteous care about the needs of their animals. You know, I have to tell you, I kind of grew up with this, you know, I'm kind of half Jamaican, half Costa Rican, 100% American. I got a whole lot of strange stuff, but I grew up where animals weren't really a part of my life. Dogs lived outside, and they ate what we didn't eat. I'm not sure that's exactly the kindest way you're supposed to be treating your animals. And I think what the Bible is telling us is that we have a responsibility to even the least of what we may not respect in nature. And those who are not doing this are considered not to be righteous. There is a righteousness that comes with taking care of what God has bestowed upon us. There's a righteousness that comes with being a great steward. So what that tells me is that if you are improperly managing what God has given you, then you are engaging in some form of unrighteousness. And if you are engaging in some form of unrighteousness, then you are separating yourself from the things that God can do for you. There are blessings that only come to the righteous. There are things that only the righteous get. And sometimes we may wonder to ourselves, why hasn't God done this in my life? Why haven't I seen that happen in my life? Why hasn't this come together in my life? And sometimes it's because your level of unrighteousness is too high. God is requiring us to be righteous even as we deal with the least of these. You know, sometimes when you look at the Old Testament, they talk about, you know, that if your neighbor has an ox that's fallen in the ditch, your responsibility is to go there and help them to get it out. When you see somebody who's in pain, 
When you've been blessed with certain skills, you have a responsibility to go make a difference. Sometimes we're in church and we see people. You ever see sometimes, it's funny, I was looking at the baby here. Sometimes there are families that are struggling with multiple children at church. And some of us have the ability just to go over and help with one of them. Makes a difference in your life, makes a difference in their life as well. Being a steward, being loving, taking care of all those that can be even in positions that you think may not need help. Trying to do something that would help people out in some way. Revelation 18, I'm sorry, Revelation 11 and verse 18. Let somebody go to that text. God will not leave those unpunished who destroy the earth. If you engage in a lifestyle where you are tearing up this earth that God has presented, there will be a judgment that will come your way. If ever you're wondering if you should be taking care of the earth, look at the book of Revelation. It lets you know that you've got a responsibility to take care of this world in a way or else there will be some punishment. Now, one of the things that I've been working on recently, and, um, you know, my wife told me one day, she said, I I see this is your new thing, and I've been really doing a lot of research regarding solar. And I've been talking with the North American division about we should really be looking to use solar. We should really be looking to do something that takes a statement regarding what we think about the world and what we think about our carbon footprint. And we're spending twenty dollars and $30,000 a month on electric bills. We really ought to think about utilizing something called solar. But in a way, I actually was looking at it more from a financial standpoint. But in reality, I see it more as trying to do something now that really is taking a better care of God's earth. But what is unbelievable is when you think about it, God made the sun. And he made the sun in a way that now we can actually utilize it to create energy where it doesn't even cost us anything. That is just a mystery to me on how powerful God is. And the way that he is allowed to mind the mind of men to be managed in such a way that they were able to create solar panels that would be able to take the power that you get from creation and utilize that to create the same energy that we probably thought that we would only get from one form or another. Hydro is the same way. He has used water to be able to operate in such a way that you can generate power to do things as well. Think about how powerful the creation is that God has created. To be able to know from the very beginning when he separated the sun and the moon and the stars, that at that point, he probably also said, and at some point, man's going to figure out how to use this where he doesn't have to pay for electricity. Because we're responsible for taking what he's given us and increase it and build it and develop it and use it in a way that doesn't just help us to help others. I look forward to one day where somebody will come to the North American division and they'll see our parking lot full of solar panels 
so we'll be able to tell the whole world that we are an institution that's completely powered by God. Not powered by our local public utility company, not paying a check to somebody that we could be using more for ministry. I have this dream in my mind that I'd love to see this happening at our churches that have schools. Now, all of a sudden, the money that you pay for your electric bill at school, we can now use that to allow people to have reduced tuition. Mm. I see this as being something that I call this being good stewardship. And although this is not necessarily the area I work in at the North American Division, the Lord has blessed me with the ability to be able to assist in taking a leadership in this role. In the next two weeks, we plan to have the whole leadership of the division out on a field trip, driving around to see what solar panels look like. Because we make the assumption that everybody knows. But there are a lot of people who haven't seen a lot of things. So now we're going to have the whole leadership in a bus, going out, driving around, seeing different places, seeing what people are doing, looking at solar fields, looking at panels, understanding better how we may be better stewards of what God may have for us to be. Now, it doesn't mean that it's going to be working perfectly for us, or maybe it is even for us. But at least we have the responsibility to see and to check and to learn and to make a difference. Incredible. I'm sorry, my sister here. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And the thing is, is that, you know, we're starting to see more and more of this activity taking place. And the Lord is sometimes giving some of us the knowledge to know how to do it and better than others. But the reality is, is I believe that God has blessed us and blessed man with the intelligence to do certain things. And all I'm saying is, regardless of what we're into, we need to be open to know that God has asked us to manage his resources in a different way. To be honest, one of the things I love about this thought process is, I know the young people in our church are really into these type of issues. Greening initiatives, lowering your carbon footprint, making a difference in your community, you know, allowing us to be focusing more on beautification of this world as opposed to necessarily looking for more things we have to chop down and tear and burn in order to allow one of the things that we might want to do to move forward. All I'm saying is what we need to be thinking about at all times is putting ourselves and putting others in a situation to understand the beauty of God. You know, the other day I was, drive, I was flying back in from a trip, and I flew right over our new building. And when I looked down at the building, I thought to myself, oh, wow, that's, that's the North American division. But then I thought to myself, but I bet nobody else on this plane knows that. And so I went in and I started having one of these thoughts. And I think I told some of the group here that one of the things that my daughter um, told me that really would be helpful in my life is to create more free brain space. <clears throat> and I said, well, that's, what does that mean, Nia? And she said, well, you just take a little time every day where you just sit and think, where your mind is not thinking about other things, not worrying about what you got to do in an hour. Just sit there, free mind, and think. Now, I probably have more of an advantage of this than many of you, 
Because there are times during the day when nothing is going on in my head. <clears throat> it, it probably has taken close to 30 years for my wife to actually believe this. She used to say, Orlin, what are you thinking? And I'd be like, uh, nothing, really. She was like, well, you must be thinking about something. And I'd be like, no, nothing. Now, this is tough for women because women always have something going on in their brain. They're just wired differently, you know. The mo- they're sitting here already thinking about what we're going to do an hour from now. Most of the guys in here, we're just, we just don't even know where we are. <laughs> we're just like, what city are we in? When did we get here? So for me, it was actually easy. So a little bit every day, I try to take about five or ten minutes when my brain is just thinking about nothing. And sometimes God will implant some stuff in your head. That's unbelievable. You talk about creativity. Let your mind be blank for a minute. And then you leave with some thought that you hadn't even been thinking about. You know, and that's also, in my opinion, that's, that's being stewards of your body. Sometimes you need to rest it. Sometimes you need to allow it to be at peace. You know, the Bible says, be still and know that I am God. Sometimes you just have to be quiet. Take a moment and let the Lord do things in your brain. And I was having one of those moments, and I'm not a creative guy, and I saw the top of the building, and I sent out to a guy who I knew. I said, hey, can you create something for me on the top of my building that talks about who we are, the North American division? And then I had this thought, and on the top of the building, if we have all of our solar in the parking lot, it would say, powered by God. Now, my children told me, Dad, you missed it. It has to be hashtag powered by God. So I came back and revised my thinking. So now I'm thinking, hashtag powered by God. So the people flying up will kind of know this is the North American division. Because I think it's so important for people to be able to look on the outside and know who you are on the inside. If you could just be in my parking lot and feel the presence of the Lord, that's something special. If you can be in the parking lot and understand who we are as a people, that's something special. So in my mind, and I'm not the smartest guy in the world, not the sharpest knife in the drawer, But I also believe that if you are a good steward, God will put things in your head and do things for you that will allow you to lift other people up. I mean, if we start saving money at the NAD, they don't pay me any more money. But the bottom line is this may be a statement to the whole community regarding who we are. And in my mind, I believe that if we as Christians continue to do what God calls for us to do, we're going to be powerful. We're going to be blessed. We're going to be everything that he has decided that we should be. But I believe that we're going to be saved. And I believe that when we do it the right way, we'll be able to allow somebody else to be saved too. The country, the world, this beauty that we have in front of us, the best thing we can be doing as Christians is being stewards of God's earth. And if we take the time to learn how to do it the right way, One of the jokes my wife and I have is, you know, you ever hear that line, you know, you got a green thumb or you don't have a green thumb? We apparently have a black thumb. (laughs) We don't grow stuff real well. But, you know, we keep trying. And we keep looking for new stuff. We keep wondering if maybe we got too much shade or too much of this. I can't tell you the amount of pencil plants that we have bought that we've had to throw away. I don't know what we did wrong. But we're trying to keep doing it better. We're trying to figure out how to be better stewards of these plants in our yard. You know, there was a time we had some really beautiful plants, and then the deer came in and just turned it into, you know, snacks and, 
You know, some of the best stuff we used to have that we really loved, the dare just ate them up. So I didn't know if the Lord was telling us that, you know, this is really why you put it in the ground and, you know, you being a good steward of the animals. We can't figure it out. But, but I do know that sometimes God wants us to keep moving forward, no matter what the results are. Keep moving forward. Be an example no matter how things turn out. And one of the things that I love about the whole idea of looking outside now, I mean, I grew up in New York. And I wouldn't say that I was somebody who focused on lakes and flowers and trees. I, well, New York was a little bit more of a, they call it the concrete jungle, so you kind of focus a little bit more on, on buildings. You know, I was more concerned about being around a corner where a building would block the wind as opposed to being someplace where you see the wind move. You know, none of that, I didn't understand any of it. But now that I'm getting a little bit older, I'm starting to appreciate nature a little bit more. I realize, you know what, big buildings are cool, but actually big trees are really nice too. We got a tree in our front yard that is so out of control. We call it the tree of life. <laughs> Every other tree in the neighborhood seemed to get planted at the same time, but we got a tree in our front yard that is totally uncontrollable. But the irony is in our backyard, we have all of these trees, and there's this one tree every year looks like it's dead. This one tree that every year all the other trees start to bloom. And I'm one of these people that believe you can't have dead trees hanging around in your yard when the storms come in, they knock down easily. So I'm watching this tree every year thinking maybe this is the year I got to cut this thing down. Every year it comes in after everybody else. And if you were to look in our backyard right now, we were just talking about it, you wouldn't even know which one of the trees is the slow tree. But we got this one, and it tells me that even God can have even trees operate in a different way, put them on a different schedule. And maybe there's a reason that this one comes in later than everybody else, because there may be something from a nutritional standpoint. Maybe it's doing it in our ground that we don't even know about. But I trust that every year when I see it, Something strange is happening, but I assume that it's a unique tree that God has made. And I try not to sit there with a saw thinking that this is the year I take it down. But I believe that if you can allow God to be in your life and allow God to go through some of the things that we've been talking about during this week, allowing your mind not to worry about money so much, because stewardship is so much more than tithe and offering, allowing your mind to be thinking about the gift that keeps on giving, being gracious in all that we do, being content in what God has given us. It is impossible to be a good steward if you're unhappy. It's impossible to be a good steward if you're not happy with what God has given you. And understanding that what he has given you is for you and nobody can take it away from you. I love the idea of the biblical principles that we talk about making sure that we do all the different things that God has for us to do. Being up early making sure that we take care of our bodies, which is the temple of God as well, being a steward of all the things that he's given us. And I love the idea that we can conclude with talking about and how do we make sure that this earth that God has given us that we're being good stewards of as well. Because if you take care of the earth, the earth is going to take care of you. If you do what God has asked for you to do, then you're always going to be in a position where he can be. So I just thank you guys for being part of my journey this week on stewardship. And I just wanted to check to see if there are any questions or more comments. 
because I know sometimes I can talk a lot, so you got to jump in and shut me down. But my sister right here. I have a comment. Mm-hmm. Um, something that I just Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think we had even mentioned it when we were talking about the different gifts, that you can have the gift of craftsmanship. And that gift of craftsmanship in conjunction with God can turn into beautiful things. My brother right here. Let me tell you something. This is a great point that we need to understand as Adventists. And we talked a little bit about this yesterday. All of this talk about a health message is our message. And when you're not a good manager of your messaging and what you're supposed to do, other people take it over. And they start creating new titles for it. And when we as Adventists walk around and allow anybody to be talking about veganism and things along those lines, it's because we didn't manage the health message that God had given us in the way it should be. There are people who walk around talking about healthy foods right now. Small group of them will talk about Adventism. A lot of them are talking about something completely different. So part of our job as managers and stewards for God is to go out and let the world know that this is not some newfangled thing that just came out. We've been talking about plant-based and healthy living and not smoking and all these type of things for generations. 
And part of our job is if we don't go out and become the type of stewards that God has for us to be, to let people know that, they assume that it's something else. So thank you very much for making that point. But this is also part of the whole role of stewardship. Any other comments or questions? Oh, my brother right here. Now, it's a very important part. I live in the state of Maryland, and we have one of the largest um, chicken operations there in Purdue. And poultry, uh, um, litter, and things of that nature has caused more runoff issues and things that we deal with in our Chesapeake Bay, which goes in and damages the, the fish and all. And then the fish then. I mean, the, the connective points are what really goes on in this world. We have a real job to really help to safeguard what goes on in, in God's earth. Because if we can make a difference there, then I think we can transform the world. And I think if we let the world know why we're trying to make this difference, it'll make a difference as well. Because when they see us doing this, eventually they're going to ask you about it. Why are you doing this? And then you get a chance now to share with them about the love of Jesus Christ and do those things that he would have for you to do in your life. You know, I want to close with one last thing. Um, I don't know if some of you knew, but my wife, who's a musician, when we first came here, she couldn't. Her voice was like gone. She had laryngitis for about 10 days and had never had laryngitis before like that. And, um, and actually, there was a lady who I was speaking with about it, and she had spoke to my wife, and she said, well, would you mind sharing a song with us before we close? And so usually I don't put my wife to work like this when they put me to work like this. <laughs> but she has graciously uh, has committed to wanting to sing a song for us so we could close out. So if you would join me in just welcoming my wife, Zena Johnson, up so we can have one closing song to close out our five days of being here on stewardship. And I just want to tell you that it's been a huge blessing for me. And many of you know that I've never even taught stewardship or done stewardship, but for some reason, Carolina Conference asked me to come and do this. And through this process, I've learned some things that I didn't even know about. I've ended up teaching some things that I've ended up teaching to myself. So this has been as much a blessing for me, and I hope it's been a blessing for you as well. So I just want to thank you for allowing me to be part of this camp meeting and be part of this service as well. Thank you.